This is Elite Business Live. I'm Ollie Barrett, co-hosting throughout today and tomorrow, Friday as well, with Hannah Previtt. You've kept your questions flowing through that session. And uh, we've just been hearing from Simi Swill, who's head of SME banking at Starling, a challenger bank doing things differently. And also very proud to talk about some of its customers. Very uh, refreshing, getting a lot of inspiration there. I wonder actually about banks and their ability to connect their customers with each other. That might be one that we'll get down to momentarily. Now, let's continue the theme as we get ready to welcome the panel, who have appeared as if by magic. How nice to see you. <laughs> it's a bit of a reunion, actually, because I get to see Richard Behrman again, uh, and, uh, and, and, and also we get to, get to be joined on the line as well. But let me tell you who's here. Uh, Catherine Young. Uh, welcome, Catherine. You're the founder of Think Room. Thank you. But you've worked with some massive organisations over the years, and that's meant that you've worn a number of hats. But just give us a sense of what's keeping you busy these days. Sure. Um, entrepreneurship development space, yeah. um, really throughout uh, the African continent and into the UK. And entrepreneurs do keep us busy. Um, yeah. You know, uh, so so really, think from consulting organisation. Work with a lot of the corporates uh, to get their uh, strategies around SME development right. And then we've got Grindstone, which is an accelerator and the Grindstone Fund, and oh. we try and help them with money. So that's what so. We when do. you say Grindstone, is is that is that of global reach? And where might we see more? African. African, yeah. yeah, exactly, and with amazing ties between Africa and the UK. So yeah. we'll talk about it more. No, very good. Well, I'm yeah. looking forward to unpacking that. Lucy Mullins, I get to welcome you back Hello. Uh, to the stage here at Elite Business Life. You're the co-founder of Stepladder. And this is very, do you know, this really hit me exactly a year ago. Very innovative. You're helping unlock something which for a lot of people can seem out of reach, which is a house or a home, more home. importantly. Tell us why you started it, because there's often that sort of, you're scratching your own itch, you've spotted a problem worth solving. Absolutely. Well, it's a huge generational challenge, I'm sure, for people listening. If you have bought your own home, you know somebody that wants to buy their own home. Oh. And often it's getting that deposit that's the hardest piece. So oh. we started Stepladder, my co-founder Matthew and I, to help people with that education, but also how to raise that capital for the deposit, which is the stepping stone to getting on the property ladder. And we'll dig into it. But how did you get that started? Was that on your own dime? Did you bring others in? That was with a uh, friend and family round to start with yep. and, and then some seed funding. Yeah, yep. got it. Well, I want to know more about lessons learned along the way. Uh, Richard Behrman, uh, Vernissi, you're the Managing Director of Startup Loans, but at the British Business Bank, because I guess Startup Loans sits inside uh, that extraordinary organisation. Startup Loans, it is a bit Ron Seal, does what it says on the tin. Just give us a sense of the scale of the programme. So, yep, yep, we support startup and early stage businesses. Um, and we provide loans up to £25,000, so that's sort of really early stage funding. Uh, last year, we provided £125 million, pounds, uh, a record year for us, and uh, we, we continue to sort of grow and, and support the business. I think something that's important to also add is we also provide support, so that, that support to the entrepreneur both pre-getting the loan and then most importantly after they get the loan to really give them not just the funding but also that, that support to help them you know, really have the best chance to, to be successful. So it's sort of cash plus. Yeah. Would you call it a mentor, an advisor? So, yeah, mentoring is a big part of it, yeah. but also there's other, other areas as well. So, um, so a range of different things, but at the moment we've, we la launched last year Learn with Startup Loans, uh -huh. a whole range of digital training that is provided in partnership with the Open University. So yeah. a range of support. Love it. So this is Startup Loans. We'll hear more about that. And uh, welcoming back a favourite as well, Gary Turner from Zero. How are you, Gary? I'm great, Ollie, and uh, great to see you, albeit remotely today. No, indeed. Well, Zero is an incredible success. This is X E R O. 
huge personal fan. Gary, I see you as sort of very entrepreneurial. You basically co-founded it here in the UK, right? That's right. Yeah, we've we've been going for oh my goodness, um, well, the decade before last. We're getting quite mature now as a business, but um, we now have uh, over over two million businesses globally and over six hundred thousand uh, using zero to manage their business finances and accounting. So it's it's been a busy time. Yeah, and just to be absolutely clear in terms of how you work, you put that tool in the business owner's hands. You're not necessarily offering it to their accountants. How how does it work? We do both, actually. Uh, and, and one of the big things is that a lot of very small businesses, clearly uh, at the beginning, and, and, and even when you're mature and you're running a small business, you perhaps can't justify the expense of having a full-time accountant on the payroll. And so the role of, of public practice accountants is a very important one for the small business communities. We serve both the accountant community to help them support small businesses, but we also have hundreds of thousands of businesses that go solo and, and, and manage their they're accounting with, with zero also. No, great. Well, as you can see, uh, tuning in, we've got a, a formidable panel assembled and your questions are going to really power this session. So please do get them coming in in that screen. You've got the chance there to interact or on our hashtag EBL2021. Uh, my first question, we're going to keep this quite sort of a fast moving because I want to know how important it is that a company at its core has the financial smarts or frankly, whether with brilliant partners, including some of you, we can sort of patch it in, outsource it, surround the company with it. We'll get a quick take uh, from you, Lucy, and then Catherine, and then, we'll, and then we'll go around. But what do you think? I think it's really important, actually. I'm very lucky that my co-founder, Matthew, has 20 years' experience in, in many areas of finance. So I can't quite imagine raising the money we've raised and doing the things we've done without that. I think it's really important. Mm, so had you not had it, how important would it have been to get it in or would you have said look it's not there we just got to go elsewhere or would you have patched it into the team i i mean I, there are clearly great advisors but i think you can spend a lot of money getting external advice and if somebody has got the heart of the business within them and really understands i think simi was saying at the end of the the last talk about the commerciality and the financial smarts but if you can map those two together and you really understand the business model and you've got the financial smarts i think that's really key, actually. Okay, now, Catherine, your sort of hot take on this, what do you reckon? Yeah, I completely agree. And I think as we work with businesses, they don't all have the financial smarts, but the importance of what you're raising, Lucy, do then get a partner or anybody that can help? We always say, can you sell? Can you do the books? Do you understand them? And lastly, is your product right? And if you cannot, if you don't have the financial smarts, get yourself surrounded very quickly. And even if that means bringing in somebody junior to start to get into the business and work with you, but you have to have it for sure. Right, so on this then, Richard, you're probing these startup loans applications. If you're not seeing that skill set, red flag? Well, there's always, you know, it's always a, it's a concern, but then that's why we have the support there for the, for the applicant. Yeah. So the, the, the purpose of that business advisor for the, for the applicant when they, they come through to us is to work with them on their business plan to help them understand what ah. cash flow is to, to get them credit ready. Yeah. So yes, it's always a concern because you want to make sure the entrepreneur sort of understands what they're getting involved with and how it's going to work and, and ultimately make sure that it's a, you know, it's, it's a business we can fund. But by giving them the support, position startup loans so much more positively and and i think also gives the confidence to the applicant that they're doing the right thing yeah what's your take on this gary because of course you're surrounding people with the tools to help them uh you know be better at their finances but what, what's your take on how important it is, it is internally 
I, th I think it's horses for courses. I think it depends on what the problem is you're trying to solve. And, and what we've seen in the last 10 years, I suppose, since the advent of more uh, easily accessible, more affordable cloud tools, is that the business as usual stuff, the running the business, the making day-to-day -day financial decisions, getting the right insights, is, ha has been democratized. More, mm. more people without the financial smarts um, now have access to incredible insights and dashboards and tools that help them run their business operationally. When it comes to perhaps questions about planning or strategy or how to deal with some of the concerns around the pandemic, um, then I think I, I would always advise businesses, you can't, you can't, you can't hire all of the capability into your business, yeah. but you definitely have access to that in, in your local high street accountant or your local accounting firm. Yeah. And, and they're not just there to do your tax returns and all, all the kind of things that people associate accountants with. And we've seen accountants during the pandemic really step forwards and provide that essential, timely expertise uh, to, to small businesses, um, and so I think it depends on the on where you what, what you need the smarts to do. Yeah, and that's helpful. And just very briefly, Richard, if someone's been at the Lucy Mullins School of Thought and says we need this on the team, they've got a finite amount of time and money, and they just want to upskill personally rather than bring someone in. How do they spend that time and money? Um, well, as I said earlier, you know, one of the things we have is it is that is that educating yourself to build your skill set up, which is why we have the Learn with Startup loans. It, it's that ability to understand where potentially your weaknesses are and if yeah. you haven't got people around you. But I think it is important to think about that, that, that environment you operate in. You know, it doesn't have to be people you're employing. It's actually having the, the informal and formal mentors, uh, people around you that can just help and support you. Yeah. you know, talk about friends and family to start up often friends and family are as important for the advice and the expertise they bring yeah. but but ultimately you know it's it's taking responsibility for helping yourself develop in the areas where perhaps you have some weaknesses yeah no that's that's, that's very helpful now lucy do you mind me asking with stepladder to what extent you needed or took advantage of in a positive sense uh, the government support over this last 12 months yeah absolutely it's, it's been great actually so we we followed some of the team over the summer yep. it was really helpful clearly when the pandemic hit people weren't immediately thinking oh let me go and buy a new home uh so so stepladder quietened down and one really important thing for us was to have a sort of pivot plan up our sleeve yep. so we formulated something called Stepladder Homeschool, which was about educating people to buy their home, like an yeah. online training course. Yeah. And actually, as people's confidence came back towards the autumn and the importance of home became more important, people thought, oh gosh, I might be working from home all the time, I want yeah. a home. Community suddenly became very important. Mm -hmm. The financial well-being became very important. The demand for Stepladder came back. So furlough was very helpful to us. And then we did a future fund uh, application. Now, future fund, this is particularly for sort of higher growth, tech-driven yeah. startups as well. Out of interest to what extent does that come with the human support that startup loans get sorry so with startup loans Richard's yeah. reminding us that it's not just the cash you get a mentor as well I'm just wondering on something Got like you. future fund is it just the cash or is it plus so it's a it's it, actually the person that applies is, is a VC fund yeah. um, and then it's partnered with them so actually it's all the support you get from your VC fund and I think the point I was making earlier about having the tech smarts on the team is when you get your first VC investment yeah. I think that's essential because there can be some very odd terms in those timesheets and actually however much knowledge you've got you know you're really going to go 
don't have to go into the detail of that. Once you've got those partners on board, they're there to support you actually yeah. with the future fund application. And I'm, and I'm very conscious that we've got Richard here, obviously, with the British Business Bank. But before I patch both of you back in, Gary, um, very briefly, how well do you think government has navigated this? But more importantly, what do you think its next big challenge is in getting the right support to the right businesses at the right time? Oh, now, Gary, I'm just going to pause us because we're going to bring you back on in terms of your audio there. Carry on, please. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Ollie. It wouldn't be uh, 2021 if somebody didn't pretend to forget to unmute. Um, I think, um, obviously, there's been a whole raft of support packages put in place. Um, and, and no matter how broad that is, there's always a community of businesses that haven't been supported. And so it, it is a difficult task, and I don't envy the government. And I know that lots and lots of businesses are crying out for more support. But I think it has been pretty broad. I think going on from here, I mean, the, the, the vast, vast majority of, of customers that we service are small, small and medium-sized and predominantly small businesses. And we think one of the essential um, aspects that perhaps needs a bit more support is that, that small businesses, we think, hold the key to unlocking future employment. I mean, you can when you consider that... Um, over two thirds of our, our our economy is is um, is occupied by small businesses, and actually they contribute over half of our GDP. They're a huge contributor to the overall well-being of the economy. And we also think that jobs and the future of jobs won't necessarily be large businesses; it'll be small. Yeah. So I think uh, we we would love to see the government investing even more to tr to create growth opportunities and create jobs among among the millions of small businesses that we have. Yeah, and, and, and Richard, from, the, from an insider's perspective, if you like, what would be your advice to someone tuning in saying, um, it's a point we made a bit earlier on in the, in the show today, uh, these offers can sometimes be difficult to navigate, difficult to understand what's available and to who, and so a lot of people can switch off. What, what's your tip? Well, I, I think there is an element of having to persevere to understand what the offers are and how, what, what, what's available to you. I think there's... There is always a risk, particularly with the, the smaller end of, of the business market, that, that they can leap in and, and grab the first bit of funding that's made available yeah. to them. So I think it's important to take the time to really understand what the options are. And, and yes, it can be difficult, it can be complicated, so, so seek support, find advisors that can help you, be they friends or family or, or more formal, but understand what the range is, and then you can find the right bit of funding that matches your need at that time. Yeah, yeah, and, and we're gonna have some specific questions coming in, which we're gonna go to, but Catherine, you've supported so many businesses. Who do the best business leadership teams surround themselves with to make their biggest financial decisions? Mm. Who's in the room and who do they often forget to invite yeah. into the room? Because yeah. that's been on my mind a lot. Yeah, love that question. So def definitely depends on life stage of the business. So those very earlier on just really don't know what they don't know. Mm. So they may, may be surrounding themselves with whoever extends some help. And as they grow throughout, the, the help does, uh, um, especially if they want to go for fan funding rounds, reach broader into a VC or into a seed funder, mm. which then unlocks a whole mental or coach um, environment um, as Richard also said training mentoring for, for business loans so depending on the life stage really it depends who they surround themselves with and what we do find um, 10 years on um, as an example if the business gets 10 years on what they've done in the earlier years is a good determinant of what will happen in the future with financial prowess with financial management etc so on that Lucy advice to your former self how could you have been more financially successful, you've been successful in a lot of other measures too, 
Had you known something a bit different, what would you say if you go back to just starting Stepladder? Yes, it's a tricky question for me, actually, because uh, my co-founder, Matthew, did the early raise before I joined. Mm. So in, in a way, I'm very lucky. I sort of stepped in and he'd done that early friends and family round. So I guess my advice would be, you know, get yourself a business partner that complements your skill set. You know, and I say this all the time I'm interviewed, but it's absolutely critical. When I joined, Matt was going out talking about the product yeah. to customers and he was talking like a highly, highly technical financial person. Um, and the customer's like, what are you talking about? I came in and said, oh, well, this is how it works. He said, well, you know, how do you do that? So I think it's finding that, that right skill early yes. on and identifying it. So really know yourself, really. That's, that's absolutely the key piece of advice, isn't it? What are your strengths and what can you not do before you think about taking a pound of anybody's money? Yeah, got it. Brilliant advice. Right, let's get some questions in. They're going to be quite specific. One here, because of course, Richard, I remember pre-British Business Bank, I think HSBC for mm -hmm. a number of years as yeah. well. So this may be coming to you. Um, Jesse, um, I'll call, call them Jesse for now. Um, I'm an entrepreneur who has had a county court judgment, a CCJ, for about a year. At what point will a bank or lender look beyond the CCJ if I present a unique and profitable business that needs funding? That could be quite a demoralizing position to find yourself. And I don't know whether you have experience in answering that kind of thing. Um, it, I mean, it can be demoralizing and, and it is something that will, will make that, that lender sort of stop and pause and think about, yeah. think about the opportunity. Different funders have different rules around that. So I think there's an element, element of shopping around. Um, I think also if, if it's, um, if it's a CCJ that's sort of sitting there on the file, I think also being open and honest and explaining it is also important. Yeah. But it will be a factor. It will be taken into consideration. But I'd say look around. Different funders have different views on, on, on ultimately their credit appetite. Yeah. And that will be taken into account. Yeah, purely out of interest, Gary, I made the slightly provocative uh, suggestion earlier that by and large switch around the logos and the colours, all banks are the same. Uh, to, to what extent do you agree with that? Um... I think there's been a big change. So, so I, I think my quick answer is I, I don't think I, I agree with it completely. I think it can be hard to differentiate, and banks perhaps have to do a better job of really being clear about what sets them out. And there are so many new innovations in banking at the moment. Um, many of the new banks are just talking about the new stuff, and they're all doing many of the same things. But ultimately, it comes down to the customer experience and the level of support that the customers get. Um, and uh, and but I think there has been a, a big shift. I think it's fair to say that traditional banking really didn't lend itself to small businesses, if you excuse the the pun there. But I think that's changed. It's yeah. definitely changed in the last twelve months. Uh, well, let's and, get. And um, I think um, yeah. Let, let, let's get um, um, Richard in on this as well. But Lucy, what's the single most useful thing a bank's ever done for Stepladder? Oh, that's a good question. I think, I think trusting Stepladder as the deposit to then lend a mortgage to our first customer who had this Stepladder deposit and they said, well, what's the source of funds of this deposit? And they said, oh, Stepladder, it's a Rosca. And everybody goes, what are you talking about? So actually, I think those first banks that came on board and said, actually, yeah, why, why isn't this good money for a deposit? Right, and so just remind us, Rosca, is that an acronym? Is that Acronym, Rotating Savings and Credit Association, used around the world, many different names, ADJO, CHIP Fund, Partner yeah, Hand, yeah. around the world. And with hindsight, that trust, was that a human placing that trust in you or was it 100%. you got the right verdict from the form you filled out? There, there was a bit of filling in forms and computer says no. And actually, once we'd, once we'd navigated the layers and found the right person, looked them in the eye, they'd looked at our experience, they'd realise, oh, hang on a minute, 
these people are probably not going to run away with my money. This is probably yeah. not a fraudulent company. They're like, okay, let's give it a go and see if it works. So, it, it, you know, your question at the end of the last session on humans, I think humans are absolutely essential. Got it. Right. Well, Richard, you're nodding. And by the way, we're not going to stay on banks, but, um, but, but this is very important because there must be questions that people don't ask their bank that they probably should. So I think, I think the, part of the question is, or the answer is that just to remember that it's not just about banks. Yeah. I think that's, the, that's the, the thing is that there's been this almost an explosion over the last few years of different organizations that provide funding for, for businesses, particularly in the small end of businesses, you know, your peer-to-peer and your fintechs and the challenges coming through. So there's been a big uh, expansion and specialist funders that do just very niche areas. So it does make it more difficult in the sense you have to sort of dig into them and really do that research. But I think there has been a, a real breakout of different varieties and options. Yeah. So I think, I think for me, it was to make sure you look across the range of different options that are out there. They got it. Well, I've got a blockchain-related question coming up that I might chuck Gary Turner's way. Just warning you, Gary, uh, momentarily. However, Catherine, what do you say to the company off Richard's queue there that says, look, I'm looking at other sources of funding, but I'm finding it really hard to make connections and build relationships in a virtual world? What practical advice have you got for that guest? The, the most practical advice we're currently giving is that your customers may have changed, but they're still a source of funding. Mm -hmm. And in the interim, buy yourself some time mm -hmm. and go back to old pipelines, go back to leads you haven't completed. Their needs may now have changed where they actually can just in the short term, they're quicker funding yeah. whilst you sort out the rest of the funding. Got it. And what about, Lucy, if you wanted to confront that challenge head on and say, look, on with the show, we're looking for angels, we're looking for VC, private equity. Any tips you've picked up personally or through your peer group? In terms of, of keeping those relationships going. Yeah, but particularly virtually, right? Yeah. Whether it's building new connections or trying to close a deal in a pandemic. Yeah, I, well, I think as a natural born extrovert, I've actually found it really easy. And people have more time now. So actually, if you message people and say, oh, let's have a virtual glass of wine, cup of tea, whatever. I've actually connected with way more people over the last year than I ever did when I was actually traveling places. So, you know, there, there is that time element, I think. Yeah. But, but if I was pushing back gently on that, I would say coffees and chats good, deals much harder. Or have you been able to close stuff as well? We have been able to close stuff. Yeah, I think it. I think it can be harder. I think it's certainly if you're pitching. Um, we're doing a crowd raise at the moment, and so we're in kind of pitch mode. I think you have to have, again, it's down to the strengths and skills. You've got to have somebody that is going to be naturally quite high energy on yeah. camera. You've got to give a little bit more yep. on camera. Top tip you've learned so far about crowdfunding, just very briefly. It's a lot more work than you think, <laughs> and the compliance side is horrendous is it and this is equity crowdfunding <laughs> but now we're launched it's great it's actually really good fun but, yeah, but i think Richard's is right to put it in the mix as one of one of the many options and um, gary i'm going to chuck this question to you but others may have a view peter blacker asks how about using blockchain big open question what do you think of using that platform as a financial solution gary happy to talk us into that yeah listen i think uh, i mean blockchain is an incredibly interesting um concept uh, clearly most associated with crypto and, 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 and that kind of emerging area. I happen to think that we should regard blockchain as almost technology from the future that actually is going to be solving problems for us in the future. Um, there's a lot of people rooting around the thinking about how to apply blockchain to everyday problems in business, and there aren't that many, and, and, and where blockchain wouldn't be overkill. But I, I, I think it is definitely a, 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 a future solution looking for future problems, and we've yet to invent some of the, 
the future problems, I think, for blockchain. But okay. I think we'll it and, and I know it's a sort of resident trend spot that I gave to Gary, but other, others might have a view. This is a distributed ledger uh, in terms of trust, really. But uh, Catherine and Lucy might have views on this. I'm not informed enough, really. Um, I can give you, I can give you uh, just a very honest opinion about blockchain is very often used as the solution to everything. <laughs> yes, it's the buzzword. <laughs> it's the buzzword. And truly, if you say you're another Uber or you're doing blockchain, mm -hmm. I shut down. <laughs> it's a red flag. Okay. And Lucy? I'd go phone a friend at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Would it be Richard, though? You're going to yeah, well, Richard. I, well, I can offer an opinion. If, if, I mean, I think it's... I think it's something that uh, it's worth remembering in my experience that it, it's, you can start seeing it have an impact on the journey or the process or the system, but yeah. it's always important to remember behind that, actually usually there's a sort of fairly traditional funding sort of instrument. Yeah. And, and also to remember for all forms of funding, and, and if you're going down that route, it's just as important, is the funder, the ultimate question they want to know is, how am I going to get repaid? Yeah. And it's sort of, and, and with all the sort of products and different versions that we look at, that's sitting at the heart of being at the digital tool that's assessing you or the person yeah. remember that's what they're thinking about and if it's a blockchain it'll be exactly the same yeah no, it's a great reminder okay well we've just got time for uh, maybe one uh, more question let's pick one out here how about um well this is i guess about financial goals what are some short-term and long-term financial goals that smes can make when it comes to increasing profits and reducing loss there's a nice big open question for you but you're living this every day lucy but i'll, I'll get a quick thought from each of you yeah, absolutely. And I think this is where you've got to know what your North Star metric is. Um, sound like one of those sort of Silicon Valley entrepreneurs going about North Star metrics. We're going through a really good uh, growth program at the moment. And it's absolutely about not give, focusing give on too check, many. Give them a name by the way, if you recommend it. Oh, Startup Core Strengths. Absolutely fantastic. Good. Uh, they are coaching us through every week and just really getting that discipline on the North Star metric. And, and I what's think, yours? Am I allowed to ask? Absolutely. It's the number of signups okay. um, that we get into yep. our stepladder circles. And I think it's easy to focus on you know, when you've, when you've got a business, there's so many different things you want to be checking on. How much money are we spending per customer and how much money are they bringing in and how many people are they referring? And you can just, you, know, you can set yourself too many goals. Mm -hmm. Have that North Star metric and then work out what are your key, your key steps and your rate limiting steps to make that number grow. And that's, that seems to be the magic. So on goal setting, Gary briefly and then Catherine and we'll come through to Richard. I'm going to make mine really topical. I think for 2021, um, businesses need to increase the frequency of how they're measuring their performance. I think we're about to come out of lockdown. The economy is about to switch back on again. And, and it's so unpredictable that if there was one thing I, I'd, I'd recommend, it would be that no matter whether you're a big business or small business, you've got to track your numbers, whether it's your North Star metric or your, your cash or, or, or whatever is important in your business weekly if not daily because it's going to be um, a, a bit of a ride over the next few months and uh, and so frequency of engagement in your numbers whatever they are i think would be the the, the biggest piece of advice i would give and, and and gary do you do you think um to what extent do the best businesses share their numbers willingly with the whole team or is it something that the fd and the ceo huddle up with in the corner office I think it's changing. It used to be very much the, the board or the management team got to see the kind of monthly management accounts. But I think in most most contemporary organizations, or at least the trend is heading towards really sharing kind of dashboards, whether it's the, the metrics, whether it's NPS, whether it's growth, whatever those important goals are for the business, um, they, they are much more socialized around the business because it's important to get everybody behind them. And so yeah. I think that shift is changing. 
And, and, and let's be honest, Catherine, that could be quite a scary picture yeah. for some of those snapshots as, yeah. as we go through this yeah, year. Absolutely. We, uh, in the, when the pandemic hit, we really uh, got the businesses in our portfolio to go give us three scenarios, uh, best case, middle case, worst case. Yeah. We're still managing them on worst case. And really, those weekly stand-ups, you, you be counted and you distribute the targets throughout the teams yeah. so that they can own them. And I do agree there is a change in management sharing more freely because the, the numbers need to come in, right? Yeah, but also I get the idea when Gary talks about this, and of course Zero lives and breathes this, it's more like having a Fitbit for the business. Absolutely. That at a glance, you can see where you are. You don't Absolutely wait for the next printout. Right. The numbers can make you do informed decisions. Without them, you can't. Yeah, I like it. Now, um, Richard, do, do one thing for me, if you wouldn't mind. Bust a misconception about the British Business Bank, because it can seem this sort of hulking organisation. But just, just, just tell us what we should be looking to the British Business Bank for, or perhaps it's not as consumer-facing in that sense, but just help us, just take us one step further inside it, because you're clearly supporting so many companies. Um, yeah, so throw me there, I was getting ready for my, uh, my, oh, my goal my, setting. My goal setting. Yeah, yeah, um, so, no, I, I, so I will just say on goal setting, I think what's important is for the businesses to be planning to be agile because I think different sectors, different parts of the country are going to come back at different times and it's going to happen quite quickly. And then to build on what Gary was saying, I think therefore keeping an eye on cash is going to be critical as you start to get that growth. Yeah. Um, in terms of the British Business Bank, I mean, it's, it's, actually, it's actually quite a relatively small organisation. Perhaps so one of the misconceptions is that, that the hulking piece, it's, it's quite a small and, and I think actually quite an agile organisation. Uh, and I think what we've, we've done over the last year with not just future fund, but bounce back loans and interruption business loans and the large loans, CIBL, CL bills, I think really does show that agility of being able to, to act ultimately on government policy, but yeah. to deliver and provide funding for those businesses. Good. And just remind us, when does a business become too old to qualify for a startup loan? A startup loan. So two years. So early stage businesses, any business up to two years old, we're there for you and uh, we're very happy to, to try and help you. Right, exactly. But other products are available, as, we, as we've heard already. Okay, well, uh, I'm sorry we don't have longer, but Hannah is going to grill you all uh, backstage. Gary, it's so lovely to see you. Gary Turner, uh, who's joined us down the line. Uh, Catherine, of course, uh, welcome back to our stage, Lucy, as well. Thank you. And Richard, always good to see you. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Thank everyone. You. As you leave the stage, go and find Hannah Previtt. Thank you very much indeed. Excellent. Um, right, here we are at Elite Business Live. Thank you to those who've been using the hashtag EBL2021. Uh, it's been a great way to look forward to today, actually, just seeing who's going to be tuning in. Uh, one note about our next keynote. That's coming up at 3.30. And that's going to be Carl Stephen Patrick Hunter, who's a phenomenal entrepreneur who has well and truly gone global with his business, uh, you know, on land and sea, as you will hear. So we'll be hearing from him about how he has kept sailors safe around the world and fascinating business story is too. By the way, uh, there is also going to be uh, a panel after that on overseas expansion. So now let me hand over momentarily for some backstage chat uh, to my brilliant co-host, Hannah Previtt. Thank you, Ollie, and another fantastic panel. And this is, as you know, one of the ones I was looking forward to because I think financial re resilience is such an important topic right now, particularly as many small businesses grapple with the burden of the debt that they've incurred as they've survived and battled through the pandemic. Um, and who better to continue that conversation with than Richard? Hello. How after, are you enjoying your first in-person, presumably, event for a while? 
Yeah, it's been very, it's very different. I've been very used to only having that amount of me <laughs> visible on an on a event. So it's been good. Thank so you. shoes, trousers? Shoes on for the first time in a year. Yeah, it's very good. Excellent. Well, um, I do think of coming in my slippers. But, uh, <laughs> I thought of doing the same. I might pop them on later. So um, what would you say is the, your favourite part of your job? It must be really fulfilling dishing out the cash for those, you know, really promising young startups. It, yeah, it, it is. It, the the favourite part is when we, I get to actually spend some time with them because I think you, you, with all that you do, you end up in sort of looking at the data and you're sort of you know, saying thousands of businesses, that sort of thing. But when you, you, you get back to realising that every single one of them is an individual business with you know, ambition and innovation and exciting sort of ideas, and that, that's the, the pleasurable bit, is actually spending time with the business that we've helped. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I've got a question on that here. So, you know, they're, they're, people think that they understand what the British Business Bank is they might not think it's you know there to support businesses like them can you kind of debunk some of the myths around the you know the British uh, Business yeah. Bank and you know explain perhaps it's, it's there for all yeah so it's it's the government's economic development bank and so our role is to support SMEs uh, and particularly support them where perhaps there's a gap or something's not quite working in the, in the advantage of the SMEs in the general sort of finance market. So, um, you know, the, the most recent obvious examples are bounce back loans and, and, and all the interruption loans that have been, that have been provided um, uh, all the way through to Future Fund. And that's where we're working through delivery partners. So we're working with other organisations and we're helping them provide funding. Uh, and Startup Loans is, is another good example where, you know, we provide that support to early stage businesses and provide that funding to get them going um, and also as we were talking earlier support support to help them have the confidence to and to understand what they what, what the, the implication of the funding is and then also support once they've got the funding to help them be successful mm-hmm. because not everyone has the benefit of a you know friends and family round for no. example you know we hear lots of people talking about it and it's amazing if you have that but some people just don't have access to that kind of capital do they? I think I'd probably raise about 50 quid and a half packet of fags if I tried to uh, do a friends and family round uh, I, th- I think you're right I think you know slightly sort of slightly sort of cheesy but we feel that we're sometimes the friends and family for people that don't have friends and family with the funds to put in but but also I think what's also important is is how that that also we should partner up with friends and family money again it's that piece around making sure that people take as, as much opportunity that's there for them and you know it, it, and then put the money where it's best best suited and perhaps keeps in the friends and family money back for, for, for research and development or areas that perhaps aren't as easily supportable and then use the startup loans to get that early investment or the equipment or the whatever it might be to get that business up and running and then you've got some friends and family money in the background in case of emergency or, or other opportunities. So how have people been spending their you know bounce back loans for example you know what what do they put on the application? Well, I mean, they've, they've been spending it on you know, many different areas. And, and, and for some businesses and for many businesses, it's been about, you know, funding, you know, really survival to get through this period to get to a point of growth. Other businesses have been spending the money on sort of opportunities and, and you know, some businesses are keeping it in reserves. So there's a huge range of different different areas where they, they're using it. But you know, it's now you know, one and a half million businesses have taken a bounce back loan and you know, we're really sort of proud that we've played that part in helping those businesses get through the last 12 months and hopefully gotten to a point where they're ready for growth as and when that comes for their for their for their business Mm -hmm. and thinking about you know kind of looking ahead and hopefully you know restarting those growth journeys or or some businesses that have 
been able to continue that kind of trajectory. Is now the time really to invest for growth? It depends on depends on the business. I mean, it's 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 so difficult to sort of generalise. Um, but I think what the businesses have to be, be be really planning for is to be ready for when the opportunity comes, uh, and to think about okay, when it comes, have I got the cash there? Have I got the funds there? How, am I going to be able to invest when it's right for me to do so? So I think it, it's a more complicated answer. But I think it's about being ready to invest when the opportunity comes. That's really important, and therefore spending the time to plan for that now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, I have one last question for you. It's quite a tricky one. Uh, save the best till last. So um, I'm sure you would have seen the crunch base numbers that found that in uh, 2020, the, the amount of um, VC funding that went to female-led uh, startups was just 2.3%, down from a previous high, would you believe it, of 2.8%. So why is it that women receive um, disproportionately less VC funding in your um, experience? And you know who should be trying to fix this problem? Yep. So it's a good question. I'm going to leave. No, it's a great <laughs> question. No, it's a great question. So, so, startup, so I'm just going to come back to startup loans for a moment. So we, we're we're really p- proud of the fact that 40% of our funding goes to female founders. Now it's different, it's a different sort of, but, but I think that's an important point. And, and what we, we spend time thinking about is, is there anything we can learn from that that then can perhaps be taken to other areas of the finance industry? And I think what's important and what I take away from it, which I think is relevant, is that actually what startup loans provides, it provides you know, part of the, it's not just the funding, it's around the support package, it's around confidence. And, and I think it's the confidence of the the, um, the support package to sort of help people understand how to access the funding. And so therefore, any any areas of, of, of the, in, the, the market where perhaps they're underrepresented in terms of the finance they get, it's about providing an infrastructure around, around those individuals to help them get the funding through 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 the market. So therefore, it's around. You know, can there be um, can there be support structure? Can there be people to help decode and de- to help get through the the layers that that, that are there sometimes around sort of certain funding to to help people sort of break through the layers, break through the sort of decode some of the language, and therefore access the funding. So I think I take from startup loans that the fact that we spend a lot of time thinking about how we decode, make it simple, uh, simplify some of the language to to allow people of all different. Um, you know, parts of the, co- the community access the funding, and I think what that leads through to, as I say, is those strong figures that we've got um, that you know that ultimately say that the, the the need is there, the appetite is there, the demand is there. And if you strip away some of the complexity uh, in terms of how how you get through the process, it's it's it, 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 you can have a positive impact. Mm-hmm. Okay, great answer, and thank you very thank much you. for bearing with much. me. Thank, thank you, you, Richard, Lucy. If you'd like to come and join me. Uh, thank you for that. There was so much brilliant practical advice for our audience. I think they would have really appreciated that. We talked a lot about kind of plugging skills gaps where you need to. Yeah. Um, and we mentioned mentoring a couple of times, and that's something I'd like to pick up on. Um, people often ask about where you get a mentor. Having a mentor sounds great, uh, but where do I find one? Again, if you don't have access to that kind of social capital, I suppose it can be super tricky. So have you ever had a mentor? And if you did, where did you find them? 
I have a number of mentors. I'm actually a coach as well. So I really believe in having a mentor and a coach. And I know a lot of people think, well, what's the difference? And for me, the, the mentor is really somebody that's been there and done it in the same industry or had some similar experience. And I found my mentors, I used to run my own consulting business. And I luckily got partnered up with somebody who was a client who then became a, a sort of colleague and friend. And he was sort of 30 years ahead of me and what he'd done. So he became a great mentor. So just through that sort of casual, informal networking, I was able to get two really great mentors who helped me get to where I am today and a part of the reason that I, I managed to get involved in Stepladder and then I also think having a coach is very very important and that is really somebody that maybe knows nothing about what you're doing that can be an independent kind of sounding board can give you a different perspective on what you do and so I actually think having a mentor and a coach is very very helpful. Wow yes and um, does a coach or is it the mentor that kind of holds you to account makes you you know take actions after the sessions? I mean possibly both traditionally a coach will do that and hold you to account a mentor is more likely to say oh do you know what? when I was raising my first million pounds for my business this is where I went or let me introduce you to somebody and a coach will maybe help you more with confidence I think to pick up on something that Richard was just saying there about the the female founders I'm not necessarily sure it's about simplifying it um, that I had a little moment there I was like don't think it needs to be simplified <laughs> I think it's much more around um, you know the, you know the research on uh, on job applications where generally women won't apply unless they tick sort of 10 out of 10 but men will apply if they tick two out of ten I think it's the same with VC funding certainly I have a background that would suggest I should have been much more confident to go for VC funding but I thought oh gosh no we can't because I don't think our numbers are quite right Um, you know I've been to business school I worked at HSBC I do have a background in finance although you know you heard me on the stage sort of saying oh well I don't really know much about this actually I probably do I just don't say that I do so I think that's where the coaching comes in actually to hold the mirror up to challenge that imposter syndrome and to say who cares if you've got three out of ten just go for it anyway uh-huh. it's that you know just putting yourself out there which is uh, argument or, sorry which is arguably even more important for female founders right as you say with things like imposter syndrome lurking I think so um so you know people watching this will think she's got it covered that that Lucy she's got it absolutely nailed is there anything that you're absolutely rubbish at that you would I mean so many things (laughs) so many things how long have we got um I I think it's absolutely to the point I said on stage around know your strengths Mm -hmm. I know that I'm really good at talking to customers I know that if somebody complains I can turn them around and they'll become our our biggest champion that's my thing and there are many things that are not my thing so get a coach get get a get a raft of mentors get get a support team I think that's absolutely the key and I don't mean like people you pay as in you know not PA support team but like an external support team of brilliant people with skills to help you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. great advice there thank you so much for your thank time you. today it's brilliant meeting you thank Thanks, you Hannah. thank you right and last but not least Catherine Hi. hello how are you doing I'm good how are you uh, very well good. thank you I just wondered if you had anything to add to this discussion we've been having about female uh, led businesses I've been jumping have um, you been jumping back. up and down absolutely right yeah it's, so, um, so what's your view yeah. and you know how can we solve this massive yeah. problem yeah we uh, we have a fund that we run ourselves and I was just doing that introspection as you were asking the question how many female founders have we funded uh, how many are in our support and I think we're only about 25 percent there 35 um, and I put hand on a heart and thought mm, what am I doing about that problem we should be standing up and be counted um, as a female and supporting other females I think and I don't think it's only a female problem I think it's an everybody's problem and I think if we how do we solve this problem it's a, it's complex and we will have to really truly work together to get that done mm-hmm. and it's not going to be solved tomorrow but if we start a bit at a time we can.
You know? mm -hmm. So who are the stakeholders? Who do we need to get on board to help solve them? Does the government need to step in? You know, we've got startup loans, we've got Absolutely. the bounce back loans. Yeah. Perhaps yeah. we need, you know, yeah. something that's more female focused. Yeah. Do you think? So um, I always have this thing about: is it the government? It is the government, but it's also not the government. It's everybody. It's business. It's um, it's female founder foundations. It's VCs. It's angels. It's the commitment. I think: how do we change the behaviour of people in the long run? It's the commitment of do they really want to make a change or not? Mm -hmm. And it's not easy. We we call ourselves a female-led fund because we are a female-led fund. We two, um, the investment partner and the managing partner are two two females out of the three. But I don't think we're doing it well enough. You know, it, it's about much broader stakeholder engagement all the time mm -hmm. and solving the problem over a long time. Mm -hmm. It's also about visibility, so that women women know that they can come to you. You know, that it's about it's not about the education piece mm. as. Lucy no. just said, but you know, sticking your hand up and saying, you know, we we want w female founders. Where are you? Absolutely, we're open and for business. Absolutely right. And as a female founder, being completely comfortable showing up as one, mm -hmm. and not making an excuse for showing up. We we had a group of uh, females um, that we coached a couple of months ago, and there was a female in the audience, and I'm just as guilty at this. When she starts the sentence, sorry to say this, but. No, don't be sorry. <laughs> speak your truth and, and speak your word. And I think really, it really is about showing up as females um, and, and feeling okay to do so. Mm -hmm. Well, I could carry on talking about the subject all day, but no, 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 yeah. let's carry on and um, move on to some more questions. Cool. So we were talking earlier about the different forms of finance that yeah. you can raise for your business. Yeah. Um, so something that comes up again and again is around kind of equity. Yeah. How much should you give away? We had Pierce Linney who was yeah. here earlier and I did ask him about, you know, the allegation that gets made about the dragons. Mm. Are they greedy? Do they take too much of people's mm. businesses? Um, so how much, how do you know, how do you gauge, especially for a first time founder, yeah. how much should they be giving away or, you know, should they be seeking some kind of unbiased advice on that? I absolutely love the question and my response is always the same as little giveaway as little as possible as late as possible so bootstrap for as long as you can hang on for as long as you can also there is a there's a level of commitment that comes through bootstrapping and of course for real growth for exponential go growth you can only bootstrap that far so in your first rounds know that your valuations will be lower know that your angel your seed round your first bit of seed round your valuations will be lower so you it will be more expensive so I always say your first round of negotiation and I think Lucy made the point on stage which was so valid um, is that in your first in the beginning you just don't you know you, you don't know how to necessarily negotiate those rounds but the first round's the most expensive because whether we like it or not you set the valuation mm -hmm. well if we just look at what just happened on on um, on the news wires now with Roblox I think they just got a valuation of 45 billion they didn't know but the, but the point is your first round's the most important and give away as little as possible and then really be 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 strong in negotiating your deals. Mm -hmm. It's not a handout that you get from a VC. You're giving some of your your, your business away. Yeah. So be firm and do your due diligence on the VC just as they will do it on you. Uh -huh. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? When you look at serial founders, they always give away less second time around because they're savvy exactly to that. They know right. how the machine works. So I have one question for you sure. from our audience here. So, and it's a really interesting one, actually. It's about churn. Yeah. So, um, you know, as a mature enterprise, how can businesses deal with the financial impact of employees leaving the company? 
job hopping is becoming a problem during the pandemic and I'm sure it's related to many of the kind of questions we had earlier around culture etc you know obviously churn is never a good thing um, but how can businesses mitigate against that cost because it can be expensive absolutely right I always say to keep the blood flowing in your organization your churn needs to be 10 to 15 percent if it's more than that it's going to cost your business incredibly loads of money to get that done so how do you mitigate you bring the teams closer I think what 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 COVID has done for us it's brought about a different type of leadership a different type of style um, we see those leaders who are much more empathetic leaders who are much more open um, sharing more and just speaking through the issues we're all human we've just been in lockdown the whole world for a year and we are in each other's homes right it's no longer about that you can separate work from home and about doing that understanding I think you can mitigate some of the churn I think you can help some of the team it's not only going to be good all the time especially in the times that we're in but it's about showing up as real leaders in the organization to try and mitigate some of the churn but churn is not bad you need the 10 percent at least mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. brilliant advice there so thank you, thank you so very much. much thank you that was thank so you. valuable thank you.